first reading comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Then we're on to Philemon, which we're reading the whole chapter, the whole, whole book actually, or letter. Okay. Uh, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Epaphria, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and for your faith in the Lord Jesus I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I actually prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him here with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better, better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me as a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you greetings, and so does Mark, Aristocrats, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thanks, Joe. Well, my first ever job was actually in a pharmacy after school um i'd walk down from school down to the main street and i'd walk i'd uh, work in the afternoon from 4 p.m to 6 p.m i'd do things like uh, vacuum the floors and take the mail to the post and i'd wash up 
And I had a, I had a great boss. His name was um, Mr. McInerney. Um, he could be a bit absent-minded at times, Mr. McInerney. Like when I started working on the weekends there in the dispensary at morning tea time, he'd kind of, you know, we'd get our coffees and he'd drink his and then he'd start to drink mine until it was all gone. He never even once noticed. He was a bit absent-minded and, and when things got really busy, he could kind of get a bit flustered and bump into you and stuff like that. But overwhelmingly, he was just a generous, kind kind of man, a great boss. And all the staff there loved him, all except for one. There was this one lady, um, Linda, she was about my age, which back then was a, a teenager. And she worked in the photo lab. For some reason, even though it was a pharmacy, Mr. McInerney always had weird things like developing photos and even lotto machines. But um, she worked in this photo lab. She was a bit quiet and um, she seemed to get quite stressed pretty easily. But to the rest of us, she seemed happy enough. But one day she quit her job just unexpectedly. And so someone else had to step up and run this photo lab machine. Now this thing, it, it was this huge machine that was very complicated, very demanding. It kind of flashed and beeped. It stressed me out because sometimes when other people were on, on their lunch break, I had to operate it until they kind of realized that getting a colorblind person to develop photos was a bad idea. People kept coming out with green skin. It was beautiful. Anyway, this thing, it would beep and flash. You had to feed it chemicals. You had to empty waste products from it. You had to do all sorts of things. And so when Linda quit suddenly, just a couple of weeks out from Christmas, our busiest time, she left my boss, Mr. McInerney, in the lurch. And so someone else got the job of, of having to keep the machine going. But, you know, within a day, the machine was broken, completely broken. Somehow the, the wrong chemicals had been put into the machine. And the poor person who'd been given the job of, of stepping up and running the machine felt so bad and so stressed. But all they'd done was add the chemicals that Linda had pre-mixed before she left. And then someone discovered that on the bottom of the chemical containers, someone had written with a permanent marker, Mary Christmas. And then it clicked. For some reason, Linda was, was bitter. And so she'd quit and she'd sort of done a runner. None of us heard from her again. And as a parting gift, she'd sabotaged a really expensive piece of machinery and no one could prove she'd done it. And I could tell it, it really affected my boss, Mr. McInerney. It threw him. He prided himself on caring for his stuff. He, he kind of saw us like family in a way. And it really troubled him, not, not just the cost of it, but that she'd been so horrible towards him and, and he didn't even see it coming. Now, I want you to imagine that a year or two passed by those events. And then one day, Linda walks back through the doors of the pharmacy up to the dispensary to Mr. McInerney and asks for her job back. How do you reckon that would go? It's just hard to imagine how that could ever happen. The damage she'd done, you know, was too great, and not just to the machine, but to kind of staff relationships, and even to Mr. McInerney's confidence as a boss. There are some 
breakdowns in relationships that are just too messy, too complicated, that it's hard to ever imagine how they can ever be reconciled. We all know this, either from our own personal experience or or watching the experience of friends and, and family. We've seen relationships that are just too messed up. But today, as we've already seen, we're looking at a part of the Bible where we see the difference knowing Jesus can make to relationships. Today we see that broken relationships can sometimes, sometimes be genuinely, radically transformed by Jesus. Over the last couple of months, um, we've been looking at Colossians, at, at Paul's letter to the Colossian church. But along with that letter to everyone, um, Paul sends this personal letter to Philemon. It's personal, but as you read it, it seems it's actually meant to be read out to the whole church there gathered in Philemon's lounge room. And as it was read, it, it must have held their attention. They would have been sitting there thinking, why has Paul written like this to Philemon? But they actually don't get an answer till well over halfway into this letter. Instead, what we see is Paul carefully builds a framework to help Philemon choose to do the right thing. That's what we see. He's carefully building a framework that will help Philemon choose willingly, freely to do the right thing. Paul wants him to, to freely choose to receive back into his life a man who's let him down greatly. And as we walk through this letter today, we're going to see that it's, it's unique and the situation is, is quite unique, but the difference that Jesus makes to relationships in difficult circumstances, that's not unique. This letter, it's got a lot to say to us about, about how we should think about Christian community. Now, it's all very well to love community when it's easy, isn't it? But what about when it's hard? What about when it's painful even? Uh, Paul wrote in the other letter in Colossians 3.13, he, he said to them, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's hard. What's easy is, is just to cut and run if someone thinks differently to you or treats you badly or lets you down but this letter shows that with jesus jesus makes makes it possible to have a different way of relating to each other and paul urges philemon to take this different way of relating in this particularly difficult circumstance that he finds himself in so this is the first thing we see in this letter it's our partnership in the faith. It's our partnership in the faith that leads to effective community. In this letter, Paul takes, takes a while to tell Philemon exactly what he wants him to do. And the reason he does this is because he wants Philemon to do the, the right thing for the right reasons. And so he starts by praising what's really right or really good in Philemon. Have a look at verse 4. He says... I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, this isn't flattery. 
And it's not manipulation. This is simply the truth about Philemon. This bloke, Philemon, he, he probably became a Christian in Ephesus when Paul was, was there. And all these years later, Paul thanks God that Philemon is still going strong. And he knows he's going strong because everyone knows that Philemon genuinely loves God's people. Every week, this guy opens up his home, his lounge room for the church to meet there. In verse 7, Paul even says about him, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. This guy, Philemon, he's the real deal. Philemon, he's, he's a man shaped by his faith in Jesus. He's the kind of person who's just a joy to know, who, who refreshes your heart. And so Paul says in, in verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now this is actually it's a fairly confusing sentence. Oh, I find it confusing anyway as I read through it. But if you dwell on this, this sentence that Paul writes here, it really captures who Philemon is. And it really captures who Paul wants him to keep on being. Paul prays here that Philemon's partnership, or you could say his sharing in the faith, with other people sharing in the faith. He prays that his sharing together in Jesus with others may be effective. Strange thought. You know, is my sharing in Jesus with other people sharing in Jesus, is that effective? What does effectiveness look like? Well, he says effectiveness looks like Philemon having a deeper and deeper understanding of every good thing that we share in Christ. Paul's saying here that our sharing together in Jesus leads us to have effective community. Strong, healthy, good community. And Philemon, he's just been an amazing example of this. But, as we see, he's about to be stretched massively. Because it's all very well to say that we're an effective community, you know, when things are easy, isn't it? But until we face really hard times with each other and go on loving nonetheless, until then we actually don't know how effective our partnership in Jesus really is. So this brings us to our second point. Our partnership in the faith leads to effective community in difficult situations. Now, you probably notice Paul still hasn't said what he wants Philemon to do yet, has he? Uh, And he won't for a little while yet. But here he's about to introduce the difficult situation that Philemon faces. Look at verse 8 again. He says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul's an apostle of Christ. Philemon is a leader in the church. And so it would be entirely appropriate for Paul just to order him to do the right thing. But Paul's aiming for something so much higher than outward conformity. He wants Philemon to freely choose this and to choose it on the basis of love. 
even at the start of the letter, I don't know if you noticed it, but Paul didn't introduce himself how he normally does. He doesn't introduce himself as Paul the Apostle. Look at who he, he says is writing this letter in verse 9. He says, It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you. He's not trying to strong-arm Philemon into submission. In fact, he's not a picture of strength at all here, is he? He's an old man, humble, prisoner of Jesus. What he's trying to do here is he's trying to win Philemon's heart. And finally, in in verse 10, we, we get to see why Paul writes to Philemon and they sitting there for the first time get to see why this letter exists he says I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains now it's a little bit tricky to piece together what's going on Uh, Mark did it well for us in the all ages spot but it, it seems this situation it seems like Onesimus coming back to Philemon would have been a bit like Linda walking through the doors of that pharmacy and seeing Mr. McInerney. I mean, it's quite possible, as this letter was read there in the lounge room, that there might have been an audible gasp as Onesimus' name was read out. It's possible Philemon sitting there suddenly sort of tensed up at the mention of his name. And we can only partly piece together the situation. But it, it seems that Onesimus was probably a, a slave who ran away from his master Philemon. And, it, and before we get distracted you know, and try to judge what's going on through modern eyes, it, it's, it's right to try and understand what's going on through ancient eyes, through their eyes, first of all. Slavery was really common in the Roman Empire. About a third of the empire were slaves. So that would mean about 50 of us, you know, here today would be would be slaves. That was kind of the way that their society worked. And being a slave, we tend to think of kind of American slaves and that awful situation there. And slavery is always awful, but it wasn't necessarily horrible for every individual. In their kind of way of doing it, slaves in some ways could be a valued part of the household. But it was an awful thing and it did severely restrict your rights. And a runaway slave was in trouble with the Roman law. Uh, There were all sorts of consequences, even death for runaway slaves. And they lived life in a kind of limbo, unable to move on in their lives. Now we might wonder, how can Paul send Onesimus back into this situation? How can he send him back to be a slave? And so it's worth keeping in mind that while slavery is never seen as a positive thing in the New Testament, never. It's also not seen as something to be overthrown, not immediately. See, that would have been revolutionary to their society. It would have been impossible for them to do anyway, and it would have made it impossible for the gospel message to spread in the world. The priority in the New Testament is not making life better for ourselves right now in the short term the priority is always seeing all kinds of people slave and free reconciled to jesus for all eternity that was the priority 
We know that the gospel through history does undermine slavery. It undermines it, but it it undermines it in a slow-burning kind of way. As you see that the, the slave is your brother, to be loved like your brother, it becomes impossible in time to maintain slavery as an institution. How do, you, how do you do that? So hopefully with that in mind, we can kind of get back to the, the situation here and the focus of this letter, which is not actually slavery. The focus is actually on the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And we've seen already that Philemon is, is a genuine, loving kind of person. But it seems that Onesimus was, was different. It seems that he was a difficult kind of person. His name um, means beneficial or, or useful. But it seems that he wasn't particularly like that at all. He, he seems to have been pretty useless. Maybe he was an argumentative kind of person or caused fights. Maybe he was always stealing. Or maybe he was offending Philemon's friends or, or hurting his business or just incredible, incredibly lazy. Who knows? But what seems pretty sure is that he stole from Paul and made a run for it. And somehow he's ended up in Rome and he's crossed paths with Paul who's there in prison. And somewhere along the line, Onesimus has just like Philemon, has come to share the same faith in Christ Jesus. The same faith in Christ Jesus as Paul. And you've got Paul, this old Jewish apostle, becomes really close with with Onesimus, who's probably a young Gentile runaway slave. Think about that. It's a pretty unlikely friendship, don't you reckon? Paul, Jewish, friends with Onesimus, a Gentile. It's, it's, it's unlikely, but it's the kind of effective community that sharing faith in Jesus creates. We see it with Paul and we see it with Onesimus. Look at how Paul describes Onesimus in verse 12. He says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. And so here, finally, we have the issue. As Philemon is is hearing this letter read from Paul, outside in the car park, waiting to see what his fate will be, is Onesimus. This is the issue, but we still haven't yet heard what Paul wants Philemon to do. And even still, he he doesn't tell him. Instead, he, he keeps building a framework to help him choose to do the right action. Look at verse 15. Paul writes, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Perhaps Onesimus running away like this is all part of God's plan. It's interesting, Paul doesn't presume to know God's plan, doesn't presume to know exactly what God's doing in all of this, but he's encouraging Philemon to allow room for the sovereignty of God, even in difficult circumstances. When we let go of of trying to control all our circumstances, and when we allow for the fact that, that God will use even difficult circumstances to bring about good circumstances, we would never have allowed 
then that actually changes how we relate to each other. If I think to myself, you know, maybe in God's plan, this person who's hurt me so badly, maybe that in God's plan achieves something painful but good. Maybe God saw that it was necessary for some reason. Even just making room for that possibility can change our attitude towards someone enough to make it possible to take steps towards reconciliation. But notice in this case, Paul doesn't want Philemon and Onesimus just to be reconciled in their old relationship. Paul's saying that now that they share together in Jesus, there's a new relationship. Look at verse 16. Paul says about Onesimus, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, that's the old relationship, and as a brother in the Lord, that's the new relationship. And this brings us to our last point. Our partnership in the faith leads us to effective community in relationally radical ways. Now at this point, Paul finally tells Philemon what he wants him to do. Have a look at verse 17. This is what he wants. He says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This is crazy when you think about it. Paul's asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus into his home, into his life, just like he'd welcome the Apostle Paul. Welcome Onesimus, a slave, a difficult person, a runaway, a thief. Paul is asking Philemon to welcome this man with, with the same love and affection that he has for Paul himself. This is radical. In fact, probably the reason this personal letter was meant to be read in public to the church wasn't to put you know kind of public pressure on Philemon we we tend to I think it says a lot about us we tend to read this letter like Paul's a manipulator it's not he's trying to manipulate him it's actually the opposite see public pressure for Philemon would have been for him to make Onesimus pay for what he'd done the public would have been shocked and disapproving to see Philemon embrace Onesimus as a brother with no consequences. In writing this letter, Paul is actually helping Philemon take the right action. He's taking away the pressure, the public pressure and opinions of others. And at the same time, Paul is teaching the whole community about just how deep our sharing in Jesus Christ goes. When we share together in Jesus, we're bound in an effective community that still exists even in difficult situations. And it's a radical community where the distinctions between us become almost irrelevant. Do you remember what Paul wrote back in Colossians 3.11 in his other letter? He said that in Christ there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free but Christ is all and is in all 
Now, we can kind of hear that. It just sounds like a nice sentiment, doesn't it? That's a nice, nice kind of thought. But it's actually radical. Paul here is now applying it, and he is asking Philemon to welcome back his slave now as his brother. And he could command it, but he wants Philemon to freely choose to do the right thing. And even still, Paul's working hard to help Philemon choose the right thing. Look at verse 18. He says, If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now again, in our ears, this this sounds manipulative, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, like a parent saying to their kid, you know, you're alive because of me. It's a terrible thing to do. Don't do it. But it's, it's, it's actually more radical than that. See, Paul is saying that Philemon is in his debt because Paul told him about Jesus. But the way Paul wants to cash in on that debt is by Philemon letting Paul be in his debt. It it's kind of does your head in because there's this upside down kind of logic going on here. Paul's saying, do me this favor. Let me owe you whatever Onesimus owes you. That's the favor. Please, Philemon, please transfer Onesimus's debt to me. If you owe me any debt, then owe me this favor. Now, unless you share in Jesus, like Paul, like Philemon, then this makes no sense, this kind of logic. How can Paul cash in on a debt by asking Philemon to let him pay someone else's debt. How is that benefiting Paul? Unless you understand what what we all share in when we share in Christ, then you'll never understand what Paul's doing here. We share in someone who gave up his life for us to pay our debt. We share together in Christ. We share in someone who owned our debt to reconcile us to him. And as we share in him, we become like him. Paul is being like Jesus here. And he's asking Philemon to be like Jesus. And in verse 20, he literally says, Yes, brother, I do wish that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Philemon, remember, he's so well known for refreshing the hearts of the Lord's people. Well, Paul is asking him, refresh my heart. Take Onesimus back as a brother. Have you ever ever thought about this? Um, We tend to be so individualistic that we don't tend to think this way. But when we forgive each other, when we reconcile with each other, when our, our community here is actually effective, even in difficult circumstances, it refreshes all our hearts. We all benefit when we see each other forgive. When you forgive someone here, it refreshes the hearts of all of us who love you and love that other person. And it refreshes the heart of Jesus, your Lord, as well. Now, Paul, he knows this is a difficult situation for Philemon. That's why he writes this this letter so um, carefully and sensitively. He knows that this, this can't be faked 
He knows commanding it won't achieve true reconciliation. And he knows that manipulating won't transform their relationship either. Paul knows it's only by appealing to Philemon's love which comes from Christ Jesus. It's only his sharing in Jesus who died for Philemon, who died for Onesimus. It's only their sharing in Jesus that's going to lead Philemon to do the right thing. And it's the same for us. So let me finish by just pointing to a couple of things that that this amazing letter does teach us today. First of all, just have you really noticed the way that Paul operates? Paul, the apostle, appointed by Jesus, he persuades where he can. He doesn't command. This letter teaches us that our motivation matters, not just our outward conformity. We really should take note of this. This is the way we should operate as a church. We're not on about a a list of rules. Where at all possible, possible, we want hearts to be one for what's right and good and pleasing to Christ. We want hearts one, not outward conformity. And you know, this, this should be the way we operate as leaders, as parents too. We should work really hard to win hearts for Jesus. Second, this letter teaches us about effective community. It teaches us a lot about this. Where do you have good reasons, good reasons, to not get along with someone here? Because that, right in that spot, that's where this letter is speaking to you. Is your sharing in Jesus leading to effective community in the good times and in the hard times? Is there someone you need to forgive? Sharing together in Jesus, it's not about a kind of idolized kind of community. Jesus is on about effective community in the real world, not idolized community. But sometimes we get caught up in uh, the idea of community, but it's got nothing to do with loving the community that's right there in front of us. Bonhoeffer, he said about Christian community, said those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. Every time I read this, I always find that it stings. (laughs) Do I love my dream of a Christian community? Or do I love the Christian community right in front of my eyes that we have here? What about you? Are you chasing a dream? Or are you walking alongside real people, loving, flawed people that Jesus laid down his life for? See, it's only as we share in Jesus who died for us, it's only then that we can love like this, 
love like he loves in the good times and the difficult times. Love that crosses racial barriers, social barriers, gender barriers, educational barriers. That's what effective community looks like and it's what we have because of Jesus. And finally, this letter teaches you that if you like the sound of that sort of effective community but you don't yet share in Jesus, you can. See, Onesimus, he was changed by sharing in Jesus. That we even have this letter at all is actually testimony to the fact that the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus was changed by Jesus. In fact, in, in a city nearby, Ephesus, um, about 40 years later, we've, we've got a, a letter addressed to the bishop of Ephesus, whose name is Onesimus. <laughs> now, we don't know for sure that it's, it's the same runaway slave that becomes the bishop of Ephesus, but it well could be. Onesimus was changed by Jesus, and he became a part of a community that was changed by Jesus. If you've never publicly, clearly made the decision to give your life over to Jesus, unless you do, you won't ever have this kind of effective community. It's impossible without Jesus. But with him, it's the kind of community that you two can share in. Jesus offers it to you just as much as he does to Philemon, just as much as he does to Onesimus. He offers life eternal, life to the full. He offers effective community. Why not take it? If you would like to explore more the kind of difference that Jesus makes to life and to community, Mark or I would love to chat to you. Just come and talk to us afterwards. We'd love to show you the difference Jesus made to our own lives, to this community here, and the difference he could make to your life as well. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of um, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, that he would lay down his life to pay our debt, to reconcile us to himself. A debt he didn't owe and a debt we couldn't pay. And yet one that he gladly took in order to restore our relationship with you. Father, help us to be the kind of people who share in Jesus and the kind of community that effectively shares in him so that our differences and grievances against each other would be overcome by his love. Lord, shape us this way, we pray in his name. Amen.